0: Well, good morning. Well, welcome to LifePoint today. So, I have this book that's very valuable to me. This is a Bible. Uh, it is from 1934. This was my grandfather's Bible who gave it to my mom. Uh, he died in 1999. And not too long ago, I was at my mom's house. She said, Hey, you should just go ahead and take your grandfather's Bible. So, I did. There's a great story behind this Bible. When he was about 20, he decided that he wanted to be a preacher, and he wanted to study and learn all that he could. And he wanted this big Bible that's got all these help notes in it. Uh, He was from a family of 13 kids, and they were very poor, southern Appalachia. And so his mother, my great-grandmother, sold the family hog to pay for about half of this Bible. And then he financed the other half. And he paid it a little bit every month. This was $30 in 1934. That was a lot of money. And he studied this. He raised a family studying this. It was there for weddings. It was there for the funerals of family members and friends. It was there as he... I'm sure had doubts and sought guidance. It was there when he decided he was gonna be a church planter and he started churches all over southern West Virginia, Virginia, and Kentucky. He carried this with him for several decades before wearing it out and moving on to the next one. It's so fragile, I almost didn't take it out of the box. But this Bible has a big story to tell. Back in 1934, it wasn't as accessible as it is today. But one thing that was the same in 1934 as it is today is that it was the best-selling book. It's still the best-selling book. In fact, today, you might have multiple Bibles. I tried to count how many I have, and it's probably 12 or 15 different Bibles in my whole library, not including the many Bibles that are in my pocket on my phone. You may have all of that too. So today we're in the next part of this teaching called Timeless, where we're talking about some of the core principles of Christianity. Some of the pillars that Christianity is built upon. And today I'm talking about the Bible and how we know we can trust it and how we know the words in here are true, and how it's inspired millions of people to take next steps, how it inspired my grandfather to say, if I got to pay by the month, I'm still going to get one that's going to help me study God's word and learn it so I can tell people about Jesus. And this morning as I was sitting looking at this and seeing all of his notes and He's got family obituaries stuck in there of grandchildren that died. And I thought, how many people heard about God's Word and started a relationship with Christ because a man in a little tiny town you've never heard of read this and applied it to his life. And it not only changed his, it started to change other people's lives as well. How do we know we can trust the words in there? How do we know we can trust it? We have given out since this church started probably a couple thousand Bibles. We're gonna give them out again today. People actually come to us later with that Bible and say, hey, I love this LifePoint Bible. Maybe if they didn't grow up with the Bible or they grew up in another tradition where it might've had some different books in it, they say, that LifePoint Bible says this. The LifePoint doesn't have a Bible. Uh, We're not in the business of making Bibles, but they just think, well, it says LifePoint on it. There's a sticker in it that says, this is from LifePoint. It's the LifePoint Bible. How do we know that the history that's in there is true? How do we know that the theology in there is true? Because it's pretty popular to say that this book is outdated. This book speaks to a culture that no longer exists. This book needs updated for the modern day. What is its purpose? Like, that's a good question. Those are all really good questions about the Bible, and I'm gonna talk about it a lot today. Talk about what makes this special. And I wanna start off by reading some words from within the Bible that someone who was convinced that Jesus was the Messiah. Because Jesus appeared to him and said, Go teach my people. His name is Paul. And Paul started mentoring this young guy named Timothy, who was a pastor. And here are the words that Paul says to young Timothy about God's word He says, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong. And it teaches us to do whatever is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people for every good work. That's why we give out a Bible every week. If you don't have one, the ushers are coming down right now. Or if you want to take one and give it to somebody, just do it. Raise your hand, they'll give it to you, or you can also follow along on the screen. So he starts out saying, All scripture is inspired by God. That is the only place in the New Testament where the word inspired is used. Whatever the original Greek was, which is what the New Testament was written in, that's the only place that the word inspired is used. Some different translations translate that word God-breathed. And it says all scripture is God-breathed. So the Bible that you may have at home on your shelf, may have just gotten for your first time as they handed them out, the Bible you can download on your phone and read is God breathed, meaning it came from within God. All of it. If you start reading at the very first book of the Bible, it's Genesis. And Genesis chapter one is an account of how the world was created, how we got here. Now, it's not meant to be a scientific account. It was actually a Hebrew poem meant to teach people about how God created the heavens and the earth. Now, it doesn't sound like a poem when we read it in English, but if you knew Hebrew and you read it, you would say, that's poetry. In that first chapter and second chapter, as this Hebrew poem is being read, it says something about God that sounds like what the Apostle Paul said about the Scriptures. It says, then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground, He breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living person. So the Spirit of God breathed into humans, and we had life. So when it says that Scripture is God-breathed, it means that God's breath, not just ideas, not just what people thought should be written down, but God's breath breathed into the authors who wrote down what God wanted. Another one of the New Testament writers named Peter, who was the leader of the first century church that really got things going, that spoke the first message, that got people motivated and followed Jesus closely throughout his three year ministry, had this to say in one of his writings about the scriptures. He says, Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding. Or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit as they spoke from God. So when the people wrote the words that we read, they believed the words they wrote, they believed every word they were writing. And he says it didn't come about because they just thought it sounded nice. It came about because God breathed that life into them, those words into them, and they wrote those words down. In your Bible, there are 66 books. 39 of them are in the Old Testament. 27 are in the New Testament. It's three different languages originally, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. There's 40 different authors written over a period of about 1,500 years. Eight different people wrote the New Testament, the, the part of the Bible that tells the story of Jesus and the first century church and how the message of Christ spread. Eight different people inspired by God to write these words down. This is written by politicians. It's written by kings. It's written by musicians and poets and tax collectors and apostles. And yet the same story is the thread that goes all the way through it when many of these people didn't even know each other. They didn't live in the same time, didn't even live in the same area. And yet there's a consistent story that's told all the way through it. You contrast the Bible with other religious books. You'll see that it's very different. 40 authors, eight authors in the New Testament thread the same story together. People that didn't even know each other. Look at the Quran. One person, they believe, heard from an angel. The archangel Michael talked to him and he writes down everything. One person over a period of about 25 years. The Book of Mormon. One person heard from one angel, got these plates that had writings on it, and they believe this one person heard this one message. And he wrote it all down, one person. And yet the Bible has multiple authors over multiple hundreds of years. There's two truths I want to share with you about the Bible today. The first one is, the Bible is reliable. You may not believe that, you might be a skeptic, but I'm going to talk to you skeptics today and I'm going to give some of you some encouragement of why you believe what you believe because Some of you just believe it because mama said to believe it, right? Mama said that's true, so it's true. And that's great, but it's really good to have some understanding of why you believe it's true, not just because mama said it. Because the Bible is reliable. In 1952, a historian named C. Sanders, not Colonel Sanders, but different guy, he came up with three specific tests to see if the Bible was true. Well, he actually came up with it for any historical writing, but it can be applied to the Bible. This guy wasn't a Christian, and he said for any historical writing to be deemed as true, authentic, it has to pass these three tests. And the first test is the internal test. What does the Bible say about itself? Well, of course, the Bible says it's true, It's not gonna say, we're not sure about this, but we're writing it down anyway. And if you're a skeptic, that's probably your biggest argument. When somebody tries to talk to you about the Bible and you don't believe it, if I were in your shoes, I would say, well, of course the Bible says it's true. Of course it says it's inspired by God. Of course it would claim to be true. But the first test is, what's it? talk about internally. And internally, all of the authors believed what they were writing down was the words coming from God. In Psalm 119, it says, the very essence of your words is truth. And the Psalm writer just says that over and over again. One of the New Testament authors, I just read, uh, the, the apostle Peter, he talked about how he was a witness To the majesty of Christ. And he reminded his listeners and his readers, I was an eyewitness to the majesty of Christ. The New Testament was written between 47 and 95 AD. Now Jesus died in 33 AD. So if the first writing started at about 47 AD, that means... When the writing began, people would have been around to refute the claims had they not been true. So it's not this, you know, hundreds of years later, it's in the same generation, they start to write it down, and there's, you know, you can't uncover writing where somebody's saying, hey, they're writing this thing called the Bible, and it's not true. None of that exists. It wasn't all compiled together like we have today. a majority of the New Testament writers, if you're skeptical about the Bible being true, the majority of the writers went to their deaths claiming that the words they wrote, what they experienced, what they saw was true. And some of them were killed for it. And so internally, it claims to be true. If you've ever read the Da Vinci Code, that's not true. The author of the Da Vinci Code even calls his book Historical fiction. The movie The Shack is coming out, that's based on the book by the same title. A very compelling story about how somebody can feel and interact with God at a time of great grief. But the author of The Shack doesn't say, This really happened. That's why when people get bent out of shape about it, I think, Do you realize it's fiction? And the author did not mean to make it anything other than fiction. He doesn't claim that it's true. The author of the Da Vinci Code, they don't claim that that's really true. They call it fiction. The authors of the Bible, specifically the New Testament, claimed it was true and they were willing to die for it. So the Bible easily passes the internal test, and it should. Many historical documents would pass the internal test. But then there's another test that all historical documents need to pass in order to be deemed reliable. The external test. What do outside sources say about the Bible? Are there people who aren't believers or other documents that confirm the Bible's stories? Well, the Bible, it does square up with history. There are historians outside of anything you read in the Bible, historians that historians that aren't followers of Christ and weren't at the time that wrote about this man named Jesus who lived and performed miracles and did all these great things. That wrote about how the followings of people the following of people following Jesus was continuing to grow and grow and grow. So other writers of history Acknowledged that Jesus really existed and took place, and and everything he did took place. So the Bible matches up with history. The Bible also matches up with archaeology. Archaeology is a great external source that can either affirm or deny the credibility of the stories told in Scripture. In in excavations at Bible locations, they have found the synagogue. In Capernaum, Jacob's well, the pool of Bethsaida, and it's five porticos the Bible talks about, the pool of Siloam. All this in Jerusalem were archaeological discoveries that confirmed the accounts that take place in Scripture. And in the last couple of years, they found Herod's palace. They found what is believed to be the boyhood home of Jesus. And if you've ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls, In the 1940s, some shepherds were chasing uh, some lost sheep and they threw a rock into a cave thinking they'd drive the sheep out. They heard something break, they go in, there's all these clay pots in there and they find copies of Old Testament books. And when they restored them, when they read them, they were just like the Old Testament book that you have today. There wasn't like, oh, it said this, but now it says that. It was changed from this to this. I just saw last week, they've discovered more scrolls around the Dead Sea. And I can guarantee you, they're not gonna find something that's aha. They're just gonna find more manuscripts of Old Testament writings. So when it comes to external evidence of the Bible, it's pretty strong. One of the greatest archaeologists of all time, Nelson Gleck, said this. It may be stated categorically that no archaeological discovery has ever controverted a biblical reference. There's no discovery that disproves a biblical reference in archaeology. So when you look at all the evidence, the Bible not only passes the internal test, it passes the externals test. Now, another test that's much more difficult for a historical writing to pass is the bibliographic test. And that just means, how were these original manuscripts that turned out to be this translated? How did we get that? How did we get the Bible we have in our hands? Well, the first widely circulated English Bible would have been the one your grandparents probably read, the King James that's written in Shakespearean style, English, It's really hard to understand. And that worked for about 350 years till people started saying, wait a minute, we doth not speak this way anymore. You know, we have gotta, gotta have something better to, to, to speak to the common man. That was the original intent of the King James Version. So now, that was in 1611. So now, let's, you know, in the mid-1900s, other translations really started to come to the surface to put God's word in simple language where people could understand. Now, there's a lot of translations today. Most of them are accurate. And when you see those three little letters at the end, like NIV, NLT, TNLV, all those different translations, three or four letters, it just talk, that just indicates what kind of translation it is. And there's translations from very, very literal that would be more academic, like the RSV, Uh, that's really academic, and if you know anything about translating from language to language, it's a very literal word-for-word translation, which makes it a little bit harder to read. It doesn't read so much like a story. It's really choppy. And then there's other translations that go all the way over to paraphrases where somebody's just sitting there going, what do I think that means? I think I'm going to say it like this. And the message is a good example of that. Now, the Bibles we hand out fall somewhere in the middle of that, New International Version or New Living Translation that translate God's Word that's more the spirit of what the passage is trying to say. It's not a word-for-word translation. And so all those translations serve a need. Now, they don't contradict each other. They just use different words like God-breathed instead of inspired. That means the same thing. One used God-breathed. Another one used the English word inspired. When people get, would get a hold of the original manuscripts, when translation was taking place, they were very meticulous on how they translated, especially the Old Testament. A group of people would copy a manuscript so they could circulate it. Somebody would count the letters in the manuscript. And when they got to the end, if they were off on the count, they scrapped the whole thing and start it all over again because they wanted it to be 100% accurate with no mistakes. But how do we know that the Bibles we have available to us today are accurate? How do we know that somebody somewhere didn't say, you know, I think I'd like to insert this belief into Christianity, so I'm just going to put this in, and over a couple hundred years, they'll all start to believe it. How do we know somebody didn't do that? That seems plausible that somebody might do that. So how do we know? Well, we have to look at the evidence historically, what's available to us as we have translated God's word throughout the millennium, what's been available. So let's compare the Bible to other historical works, probably in college, maybe even in high school, you've heard of this guy, Julius Caesar, you've probably heard of the Gaelic Wars which was just a historical book about his rule. Uh, if you didn't, you, that's why you didn't major in liberal arts. you know. So you could like, I'm going science all the way. I'm not messing with that stuff. But if you majored in anything related to liberal arts or you're a teacher, you've heard of this. And nobody disputes whether or not that's an accurate account. But here's where they get everything about Julius Caesar that was written in the G- Gaelic Wars comes from this this amount of accuracy. It was written in the first century. There's 10 copies of manuscripts to help authenticate that his writings were actually what happened. From the time it happened in the first century to the earliest manuscript we have, there's a gap of 900 years. So 900 years separates, if you could hold, the oldest manuscript that they translate from it would be 900 years from the actual events taking place. Nobody would have been around to refute it. Somebody could have just made it all up 900 years later, but hey, we have 10 copies of the manuscript, so it's just taught as absolute truth. Aristotle. Aristotle wrote Poetics between 384 and 322 BC. There's about 49 copies of the manuscripts available. The closest original manuscript is 1100 A.D. That's 1,400 years separating the writing from the earliest manuscript available. So when they find a manuscript, it's already 1,400 years old and there's nothing in between. There's a big gap. But they have 49 copies of those, so they think, well, this must be accurate because there's 49 copies. And if you ever took a world literature, world history... Philosophy class, you have been forced to read Homer, right? Anybody I forced to read that? I try to block it out of my mind. That was from about 800 BC, 800 years before the time of Christ. But this one has 643 copies of the early manuscripts, but the earliest manuscript is from 100 AD. So that means 900 years separated the time it happened, the time he wrote it, till the earliest manuscript. But nobody is out there disputing Homer or Aristotle or Caesar's writings. Nobody's saying that didn't happen. There's not enough manuscripts to prove it happened. I think there was too much gap. Try writing that in your next paper at school and say there's just too big of a gap. 900 years, I'm not sure Any of this really happened because that's a long time. 1,400 years, that's a really long time. That probably isn't true. Try to state your case and see what kind of grade you get. Now, let's look at the New Testament. So nobody would debate those books are historical, but the New Testament is debated all the time. There were eight authors, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, Peter, James, and Jude. I know that because my grandfather used this Bible to teach all the grandkids who wrote the Bible and how many books and all that stuff's in it. So there are eight authors, New Testament. It was written from about 50 to 95 AD. The closest manuscript from the happenings that we have access to today is about 50 years from the time it actually happened. That means there would have been people still around to refute It didn't go through generation after generation after generation. And there's not 10 copies or 49 copies or even 643 copies. There's over 24,000 manuscripts that match up and prove that historically, the bibliography of the Bible is true. So you compare it to any other historical writing and the Bible blows it away. So the scriptures that you can get into your hands, you can read today, they pass the test. The scriptures you read, they're reliable. So why is it that so many people don't believe it? Well, as opposed to the other books i mentioned, the other works of history, this book tells you how to live your life. This book tells you when you need to make a change. This book tells you when you can't just do anything you want to do. This book gives you a guide for how to treat other people. This book gives you a guide on how you should raise your children. If you're single, this book is a great guide. It won't have his name in there, ladies. I'm sorry. But... It'll give you a guide on the kind of person you should choose to spend your life with. And if you don't, what the consequences of that might be. This book is a guide to how you should should arrange your schedule and how you should prioritize. And some people say, I don't want anybody telling me how to live my life. I don't want any kind of guide. I'm just gonna get deep down inside and I'm gonna pull up and live any way I wanna live. And I'm gonna be the standard of my life, not anything outside of me. So no wonder some people say, I don't believe it, it's not true, it's out of date. Well, this book talks about moral absolutes, and that's not a popular thing to talk about today. And so, of course, people would say, it's not relevant. But the truth is, it is relevant. In fact, the first verse I read to you today, all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So the scriptures are kind of like a map for your life. So if you're making, when, you're ma- when you're making decisions in life, when you have a question, what should I do about and fill in the blank, you can find answers in God's word. If it's financial, if it's relational, if it's about parenting or dating or sexuality or purity or relationships or work, all of it is answered in God's reliable word to us. So it has value. It can make a difference in your life. It's the primary way that we learn about God. And yeah, you can learn about God through nature and seeing all that he's made. The Bible says that. But other than that, how else would you know? Unless God is regularly, audibly communicating with somebody, and if he is, please come and talk to me. I would like to know what he has to say. This is the primary way we learn about God, his character, who he is, where we're headed, and how to live our lives. Author and pastor John Piper says this, I love the Bible the way I love my eyes. I don't love my eyes because of the way they look, but I love them because of what they enable me to see. Because the words are reliable, because they're relevant, it's easy to build our lives around it. See, scriptures are designed for you to discover what God wants to accomplish with your life. So why don't we read it more? Why don't we spend time in it, reading it? See, reading the Bible is the way God speaks to you. If you want to hear from God, don't trust your feelings, trust his word. If you want to know what he has to say to you, you can find it. Now, it's not easy to just pick it up and start reading. I don't recommend the Bible roulette where you just pick it up and you pick a verse. It can be really confusing and actually scary if you do that. So is there a way to open up God's word and read it that really makes it relevant to their life? Yeah, to to our lives, there is. Did you know you can read the New Testament? The average person can read the New Testament 30 minutes a day. It'll take you about a month. The average person spends four hours a day screen time, TV, checking Pinterest, Facebook, Instagram, whatever it is, four hours a day. That's 120 hours in a month, seven and a half times longer than it would take you to read through the New Testament. You could read through the New Testament and still have 105 hours left over to binge watch This Is Us or whatever show you want to see to sit through uh, Pinterest or Instagram or Facebook or whatever social media you're addicted to. You should have 105 hours left over to do that and read the New Testament. So it can't be a question of time. For the power that exists in the Bible and more access to it than ever before, at least in our country, not everybody has the access you do. Not everybody has people coming down the aisle saying, you want a Bible? Not everybody has a smartphone where they can just read it anytime they want. In fact, for some people, it's a treasured possession. Take a look at the screen. This book is our greatest need. You could learn a lot from that lady. See, they recognize their need for it and they don't have it. We have it, and we don't even read it. So could you take some time to let God start to speak into your life through reading His Word? We know we have the time. We know we have the access. And if you've never opened up the Bible, I would encourage you, if you don't have one, get one. Pull yours off the shelf. Download a Bible app. Come down front, I'll let you know which ones are good. I use YouVersion. It's great you can download reading lists and it'll remind you every day in case you forget, it'll pop up a verse or the reading list or whatever you've chosen to tell it that you want to read. It even has drive times on there, not for reading, that's for listening, but it's still getting God's word into your life. If you just want to start reading, I would recommend starting like with the book of Mark or the book of John that talks about the ministry of Jesus that's a very two very short books that help you see uh, the humanity of Jesus. It helps you see the, the godly side of Jesus, the God part of him. It helps you see his ministry. And then read the book of Acts. The book of Acts tells the story of the first century church and how we began our origins. Start there. And a great way to do it is to read it with other people. We have groups we call study groups that meet and do three things. They open up God's Word and read it. They write down their observations and what they think it means to them. And then they discuss it. And then they come back and do it again the next week. It takes about an hour a week. And they meet all over our city. You just go to our website, lifepointchurch.com. Click on connect. And you'll be guided through a map where you can put in where you live. And it'll show you where people meet around you. And you can go to one of those study groups. God's Word is reliable and it's relevant use it. Let's pray. God, thank you for these challenging facts about your word that show us the reliability, show us how it's something worth basing our life upon. God, I pray as people start to read your word, maybe for the first time, that you would just speak to them. Let them see you, feel you, and know that you want to give us direction. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.